Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Good evening, good afternoon everyone, welcome to this latest episode of the Gatecast Mark II, or Redacted Mission Files, or let's say uncovered information dug up from the depths of the filing cabinet that was not originally used, or more to the point, it's a reboot. Reboot. <laughs> reboot. <laughs> good Mark. Brad's joined me again. I think he might be a regular on this version of the podcast. Yeah, somehow I've been roped into doing a whole new podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way, more so than Alan, mainly because Alan always refused to actually watch the episode before recording, and this format doesn't allow for that. Well, yeah, I could just imagine five minutes before the recording, I'm asking where the video is so I can have a quick look. He'll <laughs> be just reading the, the wiki summary. Yep. Right then, we are going to be talking about the enemy within, depending upon how you look at the... Running order, it's either episode 2 or episode 3. You may notice that the original Gatecast, we went for the idea that Pilot, Children of the Gods, was one episode. That's why when we when we got to episode 100, we were only on episode 99. <laughs> Rather embarrassing after the fact, but what the hell. Oops. <laughs> Not to worry, though. So, this episode follows straight on from Children of the Gods. Obviously, if you've seen the final cut, it will differ slightly. The original episode was heavily into the fate of Kowalski. And this is the episode where Jay Akavone gets to act before he uh, leaves the franchise for a while. Mm. This episode was directed by Dennis Berry and written by Brad Wright. First aired on August the 1st, 1997 and syndicated in America September the 21st, a year later. Kicks off with the MGM Lion. Yay. Yeah, the old chestnut. And we get briefing scene... Carter basically uh, laying down the information for the mission. They've uh, picked out two planets from the cartoons they found on Abydos. And then you get the banter between Jack and Kowalski here. Yes, it pretty much underlines that they go back a long way. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see if he'd stayed around for season one and maybe done this at the end of the season. Oh, that really would have twisted the knife, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's one of those things, and we're going to get later whether or whether or not he should be killed or studied, but. Apart from the film and Children of the Gods, we're probably just as invested in him. Although we just we don't get Freddy in that back either, so those apart from Jack and Daniel is the only real one from the film left behind, or still left on the series. I assume since it was at MGM property, there was no real rights issues in using the name, so yeah, it's something they could have done if they if they wanted to. Yeah, it just would have been interesting to have them two going off each other for the season, and then some of the heavier episodes we get later on the season as well. I think they would have played well together. Alas, no, this is it. They went for the jugular straight away. Mm. <laughs> of course, later seasons, when we do lose some of the major recurring characters, it, uh, the pain really gets you. They really hit the mark there. Because we've had eight seasons invested in that character. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Apophysus Jafar are very eager to get through the Stargate. Of course, we've got the, the Titanium Iris. Not quite as strong as the one that they get in a few seasons in fact at some point you can even see it flexing which probably indicates that it's not exactly made of metal mm. in fact it looks like a flat piece of chipboard 
<laughs> yep, we've annoyed the Gould, and we have Hammond's the start of Hammond's session with the self destruct. Oh yes, wanting, wanting to turn on at every every opportunity. Automatic though, isn't it? Unknown dialing, the self destruct system kicks in. Yeah, it just goes to show how much faith they have in the IRS at this stage. Yes. Or the little they know, if there's any tech out there that can actually get through. They're not even prepared to give an invading army two or three levels before they knew the place. No. Still only got a five to ten man security team in the gate room. <laughs> yes. All the automated weaponry they even had back then. Yeah. They've still got guys with assault rifles. Yeah. Yeah, you stand there right in front of the gate. Don't worry about it. You'll be all right. If anything comes through the gate, it's going to come straight <laughs> through. <laughs> yeah, so we get some thuds, as we assume Jafar rematerialize within a couple of microns and leave a, a slight mess that we never actually see. We do get to see Gary Jones, Walter, sending out a radiation team. Again, very early in the series. Not quite sure the side effects of this sort of assault against the gate. Mm. Yeah, I've got one note here. Walter's back. <laughs> but I suppose Walter starts. Walter's there with an awful lot of air compared to how we finish series. Yeah. And I suppose one of those issues that goes on further in the series... The iris is three microns from the event horizon, yet the wormhole can open. Yes. And then <laughs> something, ability to rematerialize and go fud, yet there's no blood dripping off it when it closes up, or, or there's no mess. You can understand why they did it the way they did, but it would have made more sense if as soon as the, the wormhole retracted, the iris engaged then. Hmm. Well, you'd think that's always why the defense teams would be on standby, for that time for the iris to close once the gate opened, but... Yeah, but then I suppose they had to come up with some way to uh, prevent anybody walking through the gate. It would have made a lot of the episodes rather pedestrian if people kept coming through without any restrictions. Yeah. And considering that, apart from a few people who figured out they could bury the gate to stop it working, no other race really came up with this sort of defence system. Mm. Yeah, well, the burying the gate works so well if you uh, weren't using it as part of your culture. But Somebody on Abydos or... Eventually, Tulak, you know, they wouldn't think why that would work. Whereas Carter or somebody in Area 51 actually came up with the idea of blocking the iris, understanding how the wormhole energised, where you could put this barrier to stop rematerialization. Probably buried the gate and realised it stopped working. Well, hey. Yeah. Probably magic soil was just as much of a reason than actually being able to generate a wormhole. Well, then we get later on the series as well, just yanking crystals out of DHD seems to work as well. I suppose it's probably one thing you want to go reaching around in if you don't know how or what works. You uh, either get a good shock or cause a feedback loop. <laughs> yeah. Blow yourself up. Yes, and then that's where Kowalski initially complains about a headache. He starts to feel in his neck. Jack notices it. Advises him to go and see the doctor. Kowalski, yeah, good idea. Salutes and off he goes. So at this point, he's still Kowalski. Mm. Yeah, we've also got Tilk and Jack here talking as well. I think it's Tilk and Jack. He's, Tilk says, or someone says to Tilk, sends all the survivors from Julak back home. So they've got other gates, addresses from those people that they've sent them back home to. Were no team sent with them to explore those worlds? My guess is that they sent those people back pretty much straight away, and then the attack started. Yeah, yeah, they didn't no go time. Into any details. Yeah. I'd have bought it if they said, oh, we kept him at an Air Force base just up the road or something. Mm. I would have bought that as well. Well, that's it. As you said earlier, this sort of goes straight in after Children of God's End, so they might have only had time to get a few through the gate before the guild started 
knocking on the door again. Yeah. If you were actually uh, debriefing some of these natives, you, you wouldn't have got anything out of them. Yeah, well, they were taken, so they probably didn't even know how the gates worked themselves. Yeah. Right, then we're going to the opening credits. Depending upon where you were watching the show, you'd either get the syndicated credits or the traditional sarcophagus credits. Runtime is pretty much the same for both of them. I actually think the Egyptian one is very classy. Yep. The more fancy, high-energy clip sequences is what you'd probably be more used to if you're watching some sci-fi or genre show. I don't think I found that until season four or five when the DVDs were coming out. Yeah. Yeah, over here the releases were all the Egyptian-themed one. When it was on telly in England, it was all Egyptian. Hmm. We stayed with the uh, the Showtime credits for quite a while. Early on, too, I was getting all my Blu-rays, uh, all my DVDs from over there, too, so... Because nothing was available here in region, whatever region we are for, so, yeah, I had to go to England to get mine. <laughs> right, then, after the credits, we get a briefing, General Hammond, talking to Colonel Kennedy about some testing. Doesn't sound very promising. No... I suppose he's meant to come across as a bad guy, but really what he's doing at this point in time isn't. Well, he's no Mayborn, is he? Yeah, exactly. There's all Samuels. <laughs> yes, you can understand where Kennedy's coming from. What we see initially, he's reasonable, he's, uh, he's polite to Hammond and to Jack. Comes down, we've, we've got to do some tests, we need to talk to him, we've got to interrogate him, debrief him. Got to be done. You'd do the same if it was a Russian defector or a Chinese defector. Just because he's, you know, he's from another planet, you can't really change that. Mm, and he seems to be from the CIA or something, so that'd be after information. Yeah, military intelligence, probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, later on, Hammond says to go back to Langley, but yeah, probably operating out of there, but definitely a military officer. Yeah, just a full dress colonel. Do you think Tilk, when he was in his prison cell, really, that was early Colonel Ream, but with no candles? Yeah, yeah, it, it must have been something. Him trying to do that, like it's not, I mean, it's a lot later in the season before we realise that he needs to do that to live. But um, they're thrown in here, and also I noticed too by this stage, there's no where's the film score? Like after how much they threw it at us in Children of Gods, now it's just completely quiet. Well, my guess is that most of the film scores, I say this is gospel, that the composers retain certain rights to that. Yep. So MGM probably weren't free to. Uh, give it to a TV series without some payment. Yep. But obviously, as Brad Wright says when he did the final court, he, he wanted to promote Joel's music and scoring of the series over the uh, theatrical release. Yep. Again, Tilt, very wise. A couple of the quotes, you know, fear the unknown, and the he definitely considers actions over words. It's one of the reasons why he automatically trusted Jack. In many ways, Jack trusts Tilt. It doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do that counts. That's one thing we always see with a lot of the military and the NID later on. They come in with sweet words, and, but they don't back them up. Yeah. Right, Kowalski's gone to visit the doctor. We don't have a name for the young doctor whatever, but the actor's Warren Takachi. <laughs> doctor five minutes. Uh, yes. Everything seems to be going well. Kowalski's having his eyes tested, having a quick look around. Everything seems okay. Oh, what's that on your back? Yeah, he's got he's got neck and headaches, yet he's got these big lump in his back. Yes. Wow, that's rash. That's a really muscle knot, isn't it? Let's yeah. Work on that for you. <laughs> you see something move, something big move under his skin. Mm-hmm. Straight into his brain. The eyes flash. Bye-bye, Doctor. Yep. 
we jump to the briefing room again. Daniel and Carter, a few other people. What were they talking about? The DHD, how that works. Yeah, they started talking, bantering about dialing home and that they liked that term. Daniel had been studying a bit when he was on Abydos, but it's cut short. can't remember why they go now. Daniel just looks out the window and sees Quals. Oh, that's right. Yep. Kind of a very religious pose, just staring at the gate. Yeah, he just leads off. He's like, what is Kowalski doing at the MK occasion room? <laughs> yeah. Kowalski seems to be in a, in a world of his own. Jack, what's up with you? What's up with you? And then he just looks around. What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Confusion. So, obviously, whatever happened in the doctor's office, control of the host by the symbiote isn't complete, or it's a running pretty stupendous bluff. Yeah. At this point, you're left to wonder. Well, especially looking back after what we know more about the Gordon, that not the ability not to have to talk through the voice and all that stuff, so... It only helps if you don't have to flange every sentence. Yeah. Colonel Kennedy's back. One thing I did like, Hammond uses the word son to tilt. <laughs> and it shows straight away that Hammond is very possessive of the people he considers to be responsible for. Mm. And this is the meeting where Jack does his permission to barge in, so... Don't worry, folks. There are so many scenes in the briefing room, you're going to get confused very, very quickly. (laughs) Every director says, how do you shoot in the briefing room to make it different? Mm. One even put the camera outside of the window looking in. (laughs) And if you're eagle-eyed, you will notice that Tilk's emblem occasionally appears (laughs) upside down. Uh, They were just young, weren't they? Yes. Continuity probably didn't even spot it. No. It probably was literally a badge at that point. You were a bit of adhesive on and just took it to the forehead before they went on camera. Yeah, well, apparently it was. It was a stick-on, but it had his colour-coded skin tone in between the inner and outer symbols. And it was only it was only later on what actually made a, a separate ring and a separate snake in the middle to go on over Chris's judge's head. Never really understood the idea that that was poured gold onto his skin. There must be easier ways to do that. Yeah, the others are just tattooed black, can't you just tattoo gold? Or Yes, you've got to differentiate the first prime from the standard book soldiers, but how does poured gold... Yes, it'll burn the skin, but would it actually stick to the skull? Would it burn right through the flesh? And <laughs> Well, yeah, over time, would the skin heal and the gold start flaking off? Or... <laughs> yeah, would you wake up one morning and it's been chipped away? <laughs> <laughs> well, you get hit in the head with a staff weapon and it chips off. Yes, this is where we also get the history of uh, the Jafar and the slaves throughout the galaxy. Kennedy's pretty much full of himself. This is probably the mindset of the military. Mm. You know, we're strong enough to handle anything. You know, we're not afraid of aliens. Doesn't really understand the power of the gold at this point. Probably looks at Tilk and thinks, big guy, armor, impressive weapon, but one-on-one probably could take him if everything went your way. A single gunshot would do the job as well. In the right place. Yeah. Yeah, but this is where we learn of the Tari, the original home of the humans throughout the galaxy, taken by Ra. Of course, that's where, bing, mm. Tilt goes, oh, it, Tilt probably thinks this is all his crystals come at once. Everything he's learnt, which we learn, came through Braytac. Yeah. This is a world that has been untouched by the world for millennia. They've developed technology and weapon systems themselves. And they are free. They could be the answer to everything Tilk's looking for. Hmm. And throwing all the different types of religions and creationists and all that sort of stuff aside, 
it's a little bit quick for Kennedy to say that no humans involved here. Because there's a missing link if you go back and have a look at the start of us. But they're quick to just say, okay, yep, humans evolved here. And we're the source of all the people in the galaxy being taken by Gould. It's a very easy to believe narrative. Yeah. Especially if you've got a streak of arrogance in you, which humanity has, unfortunately. <laughs> we really do have to be convinced about things like the sun being the centre of the solar system and not everything revolving around ourselves. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Right, then we get a nice Sam and Daniel walk and talk. Already, fantastic chemistry between all the characters. We've seen Jack and Tilk bouncing off each other straight away, very quiet and deliberate discussion. More lively between Sam and Daniel, but you think the casting's spot on. Yep, they uh, neither of them have got much sleep lately. Daniel's going to keep on throwing back coffee, hoping to stay awake. I don't know what's keeping him away. Daniel hasn't got a room yet either. Yeah. He's in the bunk room. That was my next note. I don't know if it's just... I suppose like hospitals where people, doctors just go in and lay on a bed. Yeah, it could be barracks in one of the levels. That would make sense. You've got a permanent security force. Yeah. Giant Mountain and NORAD, of course. Yeah, well, we do see all these soldiers on site and we only see a couple of guest quarters over the length of the series. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately he doesn't get any sleep because he's interrupted by the arm of the dead doctor. Well, the arm... It's not really until he gets up and turns the light on and sees the blood coming out of the guy's mouth, but the arm falling off the bed above you, I wouldn't really think much of it. Yeah, you'd probably think, oh, somebody's at least getting some sleep. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be embarrassing, though, if you have six hours and you wake up and someone there. <laughs> you didn't notice there was a dead body? No. <laughs> yeah. Kowalski's getting a MRI, although I did read on Wiki, it's actually a CAT scan. Yep. With Dr. Warner played by Kevin McNulty. He obviously sees some strange shadows on the image, on the 3D image even. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah, low CG model of what the uh, MRO CAT scan's actually picking up. They reuse later on for when they're doing the extraction. I was a bit disappointed that he didn't immediately raise the alarm. Instead, he switched the machine off, went to stand next to Kowalski, and then said, come with me, son. Why didn't he just call for security right there and then, while Kowalski was busy in the machine? Yeah, I suppose because even later on he hits a button and Kowalski still sort of leaves him to be, doesn't punish him for doing it. Maybe self-preservation. Could be. There is some confusion over, is the symbiote playing possum? Obviously he's been discovered. Can he fool them into giving him a bit more freedom than he deserves if he releases his hold on the host, or is he... Is he still masquerading as a host? Obviously, we're not quite sure. Although, as we know, the, the symbiotes that they found on Tulak were very, very young. It's one of the reasons why the Jafar incubate them for yeah. quite a while. One of the points that Kennedy makes up in the next meeting with Tilk, incubating him. Mm. Yes, Kennedy being a bit of a dick. Yeah, we get, I'm here too, we get a shot of Junior... They go and find out if Junior's still in Tilk's chest after Kowalski's on his rampage. Yeah, um, reasonable. If there's a gold loose, uh, obviously, first place you look is the one where you know it's supposed to be. Yeah, and again, he can just open his shirt up and let have it pop its head out. <laughs> yes, he's still there. Yeah. And Junior's still there. Yeah, so that shot is used quite a lot. Hmm. That anybody claim that they can tell the difference, and I wouldn't believe them. And we get Kowalski on his rampage. Trying to remember what happens next. Yeah. 
Yes, he's uh, he finally gets confronted. He is very arrogant. He's making demands. But obviously, there's no way out. There's nothing can be done about it. His only action is to survive. And at that point, he's got to release Kowalski, kind of just bury himself in his host and just see what happens next. Mm. He takes Simon in the elevator, doesn't he? Ah, that's right, yeah. Then realises that there's nowhere out. She's, as soon as you open that door, they're going to shoot you. Yeah. And they uh, get him strapped to the operating table. It's interesting here, Jack's calling him Charlie. What's Kowalski's first name? Charles. Oh, Charles. Interesting, calls him Charlie, same as his son. It isn't it, a bit of a coincidence. Uh, I just picked up on it again, this latest viewing. Well, that's it. Jack normally calls everybody, calls Kowalski, Kowalski. Yeah. You know, especially because we never really see him in an off-duty situation. Yeah. Another briefing before they start strapping Kowalski down. Tilk confirms that the Gwold are born with the genetic memory of all the uh, the Gwold before them. So a huge intelligence source. Kennedy is being very practical, very realistic. We have the opportunity to get incredible amounts of intelligence for the life of one US serviceman who may already be pretty much dead anyway. Yeah, they asked the doctor what the success rate is, and he's got 13% on him, Mike, so... Yeah, very long shot. And you'd argue, if this was a, uh, an intelligence mission and you lost one man and got a book full of codes used by the latest terrorist cells, you'll consider that a fair trade-off. Mm. The difference is that this is basically sacrificing a man, literally on an operating table. Hammond's not really into that. Yeah. Again, son... Already, Kowalski is under his wing, and Hammond is not scared to use the red phone if need be. <laughs> yep, mine goes above all your other yeah. phones. Yeah, so Tilk agrees to help out, offering his body up, testing some anaesthetic compounds that work on the symbiote and not the man. Again, how's the symbiote not killing or punishing Tilk for letting him do this to me? Uh, I can only surmise that it is still relatively young. It hasn't got full control of itself. We know... How to say it. It's difficult to know the capabilities of a symbiote depending on how old it is. Yeah. It probably doesn't feel its life is threatened at this point, knowing that if it did kill Tilt, there's nowhere to go. Mm. You know, they are the utmost opportunists. They'll stick with something until they know they've got a way out, then they'll take it. Yeah. At this point, it doesn't feel overtly threatened, which probably shows it doesn't know humans very well. Yeah. Kowalski is on some very, very fancy operating table. Spin him around like a giant hamster wheel. And break off from the base and just start rolling down the corridors. It's rolling down the corridor, yes. <laughs> I told you to close that door. Yeah. <laughs> Stop that patient. I'll get it heavy one way or another and then <laughs> insert Benny Hill music. <laughs> he rolls straight into the elevator. Now, now he's gone. <laughs> this is where Kowalski basically, he's a soldier. You know, he's... He's also, he knows what condition he's in, he knows the risks, he knows the damage he can do, and he knows that at least one person has already died because of what the symbiote's done with him. He basically tells Hammond, make the call if you have to, sir. Do what you have to do. Yep. Want to wake up as me or not at all? Could hardly blame him. If nothing else, if they decided to take Kowalski and the symbiote in one, then he's, he's going to probably be suffering as well. Yeah. Halfway through the interrogation procedure with the pliers to relinquish control for a bit, it'll be Kowalski that's feeling his fingernails being ripped out. <laughs> well, that's as you said before, like getting a code book. Well, book might be in code, but eventually it'd be deciphered, whereas this is someone that's arrogant and 
good luck getting that information out of them freely. Yeah. If you're going to just lock them in the deep, dark basement area 51 or wherever we are at this point of the series. The Doctor's doing his operation. Interesting that in modern television, you'd see pretty much everything of this operation. You would see blood and guts galore. Yeah. They take pride in it being as accurate as possible. Yeah, at the time, you couldn't see a damn thing except what was on the uh, screen. Yeah. In subdued colours. Yeah, well, again, we get that 3D of computer surgery come back with CG wheezes going in and the uh, scalpel. Such a delicate operation. He seemed to be moving very fast. Yeah. Hammond told him earlier that you could have anyone off him here within 24 hours, yet he's doing the surgery himself. There are probably some expert surgeons who do brain surgery that could be useful in this case. Yeah. Yeah, and then he just goes in and cuts the bottom half of it and pulls it out, which... Yeah, some tendrils going up to his brain. We'll oh. pull them off. <laughs> and then, yeah, just leaves that there, and then it just pulls out easily, like, again, mass, and then pulls out yeah. two, two foot of intestine tube or something. <laughs> I don't know what prop they had for it, but uh, it looks nothing like symbiote. No, it didn't, did it, really? No. Yeah, it just looks like a pig's intestine or something they pulled out. <laughs> from under this cover and well, oh yeah well that's him that's it done stitch him up and we're done like no look at the monitor yeah. the other half's all there <laughs> it was way way too easy incompetent yep and like I say it's not just the gold that are arrogant even the humans can have a little touch of it as well mm. right so Kennedy of course he's delighted that Kowalski is well at least he's that's what he's putting his face on of course, and he's now got permission to take Tilk into custody for interrogation at Langley. Yeah, I lost one chance, so I'll take the other one. The other one, yeah, and there's uh, going to be less hoopla about taking literally an alien into custody. And it's going to be interesting too, because he's already, during one of the earlier briefing room scenes, interviewing him, he's like, do you know how Gould power source works? I don't. Do you know how this works? No. <laughs> like, okay. I just buy the death glider. I have no idea how it works. Yeah. <laughs> I get the keys, I pick up my guard, and I fly away. That's, that's all I know. At best, he probably he knows how to reload the staff weapon when the little yellow cell of Naquida, or whatever it is, needs uh, replacing. That's pretty much it. There is a lot about the infrastructure of the Gould war machine that we never really learn about. Mm. The day-to-day operations of actually keeping it running. Food. That's it. The, <laughs> Where's the toilet on the ship? There must be Jaffar cooks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, latrine diggers and all sorts. Yeah. No, we always always see them getting gun emplacements in position, and that stuff comes later. This time, though, the general really has got firm ground to stand on. He's not going to be able to call the president and get the go-ahead this time to keep him. All he can do is saying, while he's on base, he's my responsibility. So that buys him a few hours until the next morning. Mm. Kowalski is wide awake in recovery, seems to be high spirits. He asked, I think it was Sam and Daniel again, wanted asked if they could, if he could thank Tilk in person for saving his life. Oh, there's two security officers there guarding him, and asks if they can uh, thanks to Tilk in person. And they leave the room, and Tilk comes in and gets choked. Oh yes, yes, the glowy eyes, and he's rather strong, isn't he? Yeah. He grabs. I mean, Tilk has not got a small neck. No. And if you told me they were somebody else's hands, so they could actually get around Tilk's neck, I would believe you. I could just imagine on set that day, <laughs> grab him harder and you, it doesn't look like you're choking him. <laughs> yes. We need to make it look believable. Christopher Judge looking down, have you started yet? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, did someone say cut? <laughs> I'm a bit of a method actor when it comes to pain. Squeeze harder. Mm. 
make me work for it. But uh, yeah, he he, re he really does a number on Tilk. It's quite alarming how strong the Kowalski gold hybrid is. Yeah, and he goes on his rampage through the base once again. Goes into the control room and just tells everyone to get out. Ah, but Walter doesn't. No, and poor Walter lo <laughs> loses the use of one of his hands, it appears. Yes, but he stands up. He should get medal for that. Yeah. Not just a purple art for being injured. Well, not injured in combat, in injured on duty, I suppose. There's, there's probably another medal for that. But he stood up to somebody. Get a, get a medal of valour. Yeah, although, to be honest, they did look like they were civilians, not military personnel. Yeah. I might just give him a break there. Yep. So Kowalski is uh, interfacing with a computer, running the DHD program, runs to the gate, brings down the blast doors, and Tilk's waiting for him. Mm. Tilk, probably been watching, uh, maybe not, hasn't been made yet, Lord <laughs> of the Rings, you, <laughs> you shall not pass. <laughs> <laughs> he might have read the books, he's been locked up there for a while. He might do, but come on, he didn't really uh, put up much of a fight last time. Mm. This time, though, he seemed perhaps with a bit of warning. The two men battle on the ramp. The gate has dialed. The wormhole is... It's a pity they weren't fighting when they, the actual wormhole. Engaged. Yeah. That could have been fun. Yep. <laughs> self-destruct ticking down again. Oh, yes, yes. He also set the self-destruct. Nice. A minute to go. It's lucky these oh, keyboards don't have any sticky keys. Walter's never spilled a drop of coffee on them all. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I've been locked at work. One of the keyboards, and you know, you press the enter button, it doesn't do, and you don't notice, and you're still typing stuff. Yeah. Then you look back and you go, damn, I've just wasted 30 seconds typing for nothing. Yeah, one of mine, control shift and the Windows button sort of press down, they stay down, you got to give them a bit of a wiggle for them to come back <laughs> up again. Two men are fighting on the ramp right near the event horizon. In fact, they're actually going into the wormhole. Fortunately, not quite that much that they get sucked right through. Yeah. Jack looks out, absolutely no hesitation, tilt, hold him there. Jack's got pretty good stereoscopic vision, if you can tell that. <laughs> his head is in the wormhole from that range and that angle. Well, you'd see the ripple. You'd see the ripple in the puddle, I That's, suppose. Okay, okay. <laughs> Till understands what Jack means. He holds his Kowalski's head just inside of the gate. I don't. Is it It's just to cut the back of the head off so he can have an open casket? Why not just stick his head through the... You could have done. You could have stuck half of him through. Yeah. I understand that, okay, maybe the snake's taken up the back of the mind, but there's a lot of body mass that sticks back from the neck, unless you're sort of leaning your head right back like he does. I think at this point, they just did it for effect. Yeah. They probably couldn't show Kowalski with half of his head missing. Well, I don't think CG. <laughs> they would have had the CG budget either. Yeah. It was impactful. It was startling without being too over the top. Yeah. And like I say, Jack didn't hesitate. I think afterwards he made the point. His, his friend died on the uh, operating table. Mm. He lost Kowalski hours before that. So at that point, Jack knew he wasn't killing his friend, he was killing uh, an alien invader. Yeah, it's just interesting they went that way and didn't have Jack actually shoot him or something on the ramp. Of course, it does beg the question about uh, being able to shut down the gate with somebody's appendage in it. Yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> I suppose you could argue that because it wasn't a DHD operating the gate, some of the safety features were not running and it wasn't shut down on its own accord. It was shut down because we, we must have cut power to it or whatever command we've got to tell the gate to shut down because I don't, you can't go up to a DHD and get it to shut down the gate. It does it all by itself, so. It always was a puzzle how the gate knew when to shut down. Yes, it always knew when the last person went through. Mm. Just, you'd come out and... Yeah. Right, so close. 
and then they <laughs> then they all just walk away and leave Kowalski on the ramp. Yeah, you'll <laughs> well, be all right. Yeah, the medical team's on its way. They'll they'll, yeah, they'll clean it up. Yeah, so Daniel takes some brief, hmm, was it, consolation from the fact that Kowalski retained the information to use the you know the dialing computer. Yeah. That means the symbiote had access to all the memories. And if the memories were still there, then perhaps the personality was still there. Something of the host must survive. Yeah, I agree, but I think Sam was probably trying to cheer him up more than anything else. Well, yeah, how does Kowalski know how to gate dials? Again, Grant, Jack doesn't know how to do it. Yeah, yeah, he probably shouldn't know how to do it either. Yeah. <laughs> it just goes back to, like, the pilot, Tilk or whoever, Apophocent to start the gate back up, just magic, knew how to do it. Yep. And this time, though, we get Hammond on the red phone talking to the president. Big smile on his face. He's cheerful. <laughs> He's having a good chat with the leader of the free world. And uh, SG-1 have got the green light to add uh, Tilk to the team. Yep, Kennedy's leaving with uh, his empty hands. <laughs> Won't be the first to leave the SGC, not in disgrace, but with a lot of explaining to do to his superiors. Yeah. Tilk walks in, fully geared up. Reporting as ordered, Jack leans in, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not military, you don't have to. <laughs> well, we're in the uniform. We've got to sort yeah. of show yeah. respect to the uniform at the very least. Yep. And SG-1 do the, you know, the money shot walking up to the gate in unison and off they go. It makes me want to just check out the start of Emancipation now because Silk's got his Kevlar helmet and everything here. I don't think we ever see him use it. I don't know. If, That's true. I don't know if yeah. the couple of the early series, if he's got it on his head or... Yeah. The show has got a, a long-running issue with uh, headwear. <laughs> it, it has to be said. Now, on the episode as a whole, there's a lot of sort of stuff filled in there to make it the 45-minute runtime or the 42-minute runtime. But couldn't they have just been part of the uh, pilot as well? Have, have a two-hour pilot? Because uh, you could have cut that pilot down a bit too. They could have lost the first Doctor totally. Yeah. Uh, they could have, they could even have lost most of Kennedy's work. Yeah, just concentrate on. We've gone and sort of got Tilk on our side and a base lockdown. Yeah, this is what we've got to face by going out there and interfering. We've brought one of them back here, but I suppose we get that in the Brocker divide later. The whole moral issue of what comes back. And of course, Showtime would have said, "Okay, lads, we need uh, twenty plus episodes for the first season. There's your budget." Do not come back with 20 episodes. We want at least 22. Well, that's, yeah, there's a lot of fluff <laughs> in this first season. Yeah. A lot of people consider that the the recent resurgence of 12, 13 episode seasons, even less on streaming services, is good for television because it removes the need for any filler episodes, any padding. You haven't, you've got just enough time to tell the story. You don't have to get that dud episode because you need an episode out this week. Yeah. You can concentrate on the series arc and building that building that universe on TV, which yeah, again makes a lot of well, it helps out when you when you get a season release on Netflix or something, and it's a lot easier to smash through 13 episodes and 22. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't think I'd like to watch a 22 episode season of Daredevil or anything like that because you just know there would be episodes that literally nothing happened or yeah, you know, extensive padding news. That's always been. Why I've never understood on network television, you know, instead of having a dead season, do four, you know, four seasons of television each year. Mm. But they do like their 20 plus for uh, nine over nine months. Yeah, and I, I've only just sort of realised it more when I done my lost rewatch the start of the year, just 
again, how many do how many episodes in each of those seasons that are just oh, here comes Pablo and Nikki again? <laughs> yeah. it, just, it just has nothing to do with the story. Did you see this last episode or the yeah. episode before that? They're telling us this again. Yeah, and when you're watching 42 minutes of TV, like you're trying to smash through, <laughs> you've only got so much time to watch or get some episodes out of the way each day, and probably also the death of the clip show when seasons got cut back like that you didn't need a clip show because you didn't have 20 episodes (laughs) clip show save some money and put it together quick yeah let's see what happened this season let's let's get everyone up to date (laughs) okay then folks that was the enemy within i think we will be doing emancipation that again was one of the very early episodes that uh, our first look at it via the gatecast wasn't that impressive As and when it'll be released, I have absolutely no idea. As I've said before, Stargate Archives website and its Level 28 blog will release content as and when I feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which basically means no pressure. I can actually do it anytime I want. <laughs> Don't release this one first. <laughs> yeah, that would. I know, I know there's a casual podcasting, but that's ridiculous. Yeah. All people see Emancipation come and go, what? Okay, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's it. Um, next, emancipate. No, we're not doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a look. Uh, no, I don't like that one either. Or that one. Yeah, right. We're doing this one next. Yeah. <laughs> Pick and choose. Yeah. Jack? Daniel? Are you you? Yeah. You? What? I like the yellow ones. Never mind. Our thanks to Ian for posting the first iTunes review and rating for Stargate Archives. He wrote that he loves the idea of the new podcast and the cherry picking of previous Gatecast content, along with the new stuff we are doing. All ratings and reviews are welcome. I check the main regions, but if you do post, let me know for a mention and a thank you. And as promised, Ian got himself a copy of Stargate Atlantis Legacy Book 3 Allegiance for his Kindle as a token prize for being the first reviewer. Our next release will indeed be Emancipation. It has yet to be recorded, but the show has been scheduled with Brad for early June. I'm also going to bring forward the idea of Desert Island type show, where a guest can pick three episodes from the live-action series which they would want to take to a desert island. This sort of discussion should spice things up a bit rather than the standard one-episode-per-show style. If you want to get in touch with us, you can visit us at stargatearchives.com or email us at stargatearchives at gmail.com. We have retained our presence on Facebook, Google+, and Twitter as a Gatecast, so the links remain. If you do a standard search, that should bring us up, if you are new to our brand of Stargate fandom iTunes, of course, is hosting the new Stargate Archives feed, so we'd be delighted if you would subscribe and rate us if you use that service. Right, let's wrap up. Come try ya! Okay then, folks, thank you very much for joining us for The Enemy Within. Brad, thank you very much as always. Uh, my pleasure, Mike. Good to be here. Uh, you want to give a quick rundown of your latest podcasting endeavours? ventured into the minute-by-minute format and uh, doing The Lost World Minutes, the sequel to Jurassic Park. We're at minute 20 at the moment. We're about to release a special 20th anniversary bonus show next week, which is about an hour and a half long, which is a bit outside of the minute format. But um, <laughs> just uh, got a couple of guests on there talking about the movie for the uh, anniversary. And, of course, Transformers Collectors Club Australia at transformersdca.com. Going well down here as well. Excellent. Okay, then. That will wrap up this week. Thank you very much for listening. Until next week, I've been Mike. And I've been Brad. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye.